0: Good morning, everybody. It's another time for another episode of Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast. It's a bright sunshiny day. It's cold. It's gonna be colder tonight, I think. But I'm sitting in I'm at the Northeast Station in St. Joe. I think RL's in
1: I think he's in East Carroll. Yeah, I'm in downtown Lake Providence today. Uh, all right. Uh Gally's, I know she's in Vidalia. Huh? Yeah. Good
2: morning. Or evening.
0: We're all we're all sitting here on looking at each other on the zoom on the computer we figured out that we can record like this and the audio is better and we all get to look at each other while we talk so we can make faces you know uh but we've got uh several things going on this for this podcast this week we'll you know we've got uh, dr west porter uh i think they mentioned you last last podcast about he's coming up he's going to talk about planters he's a engineer precision ag engineer and irrigation specialist from over in Georgia. Really good guy, really sharp, and we're going to get him to – he's going to tell us about getting ready to plant because maybe one day, with the sun shining, maybe one day we'll get to plant. Uh, corn, uh, not sure. But anyway, the ground may be froze, but we'll
1: we'll do something one day. You ever water-seeded corn? Well, no, I never have. Water-seeded rice, but I never – You know, it's a joke. We may have to water seed corn this year. You know, it's uh, – what. The concern is we're gonna run
0: it in, you know, make ruts.
1: Nah, oh, that's a given. Mm-hmm. You
0: know that. And I see Kylie laughing. I mean, as soon as they can get, yeah, they I do it. I see Kylie laughing. I think she's she's thinking about Will. He's he's probably sitting in the cab just watching that sand to his turn. As soon as it turns white, he's gonna roll over.
2: He wished he could have planted last week. I bet.
0: <laughs> well, for this,
2: uh-huh.
0: you know, I mean, of course. You know, and then we got the river coming with the seaporter,
1: but it's back up in Vidalia again. Mm-hmm. Uh, You're still looking up at the tugboats when they come by? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah,
0: I'm afraid so. You know? <laughs> it's kind of, that's kind of a creepy thing, too, when you think about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It uh, is. It is. You walk out there and, and you look up at them. But, all right, well, I'll tell you what. Let's – and we got – well, we got our – resident hemp expert here today too we got kylie who's now the she's not only the horticulture agent for us she's also the hemp agent is my understanding she went to the hemp meeting so that Uh, (laughs)
1: that makes her an expert now
0: (laughs) i
2: guess so i guess so i don't know i don't know about that but uh we could talk about it um yeah i went to the the agent training that they had a couple weeks well that was last week on hemp and um Pretty much, we don't know anything. You know, we hadn't we have not been able to grow it. You know, so we're working on it. As far as Ag is concerned, I mean, they're they're trying to develop uh, cost structures and and what you can use to spray and, and come up with that. There's a whole team of people working on that right now. Um, but if you're looking to get a license, um, you need to talk to Angela Gidry. She works with the Department of Agriculture. Um, if you need her contact, she they have a website on the Department of Ag's webpage. Um, her cell phone number is listed, um, and she will get you uh, pointed in the right direction as far as what kind of license that you need, um, and what if you want to grow hemp or seed or you know work in in any form of way. Like if you want to do custom harvesting or whatever, but she can, she'll can she work with you on getting those licenses, and, and I think by the end of the year, you'll get to know her pretty well, because I think she said at that meeting, you're going to at least see her at a minimum of four times that year. Get ready to be friends. with her.
1: Grow, Kylie?
2: Yes. Grow, okay. or um, I think any of the licenses. Any of the licenses. The license. Yeah. Okay. Uh, issue four different kinds. Um, but yeah, so she's your contact for that. Uh, her name's Angela Guidry. Um, and again, her information's on their website. Uh, if y'all need that, you can reach out to me, and I can I can give you that information too.
0: What if I want to grow some in my in my garden?
2: You're gonna have to talk to her. Yeah. Yep. You're gonna have to talk to her. You're gonna have to call her. You got to go through the protocols. You're gonna have to buy a license. It's gonna be I think $250 for the license um you'll have to do things like put a sign in your yard and yeah you'll have a whole process you go
1: through a background check background,
2: chances, background check if you fail and you for whatever reason that's you still have to pay the 250 dollars, i believe if it's a group of y'all going in to get a background check like say the three of us going to grow hemp mm-hmm. we all have to pass the background check um if one of us fails we all fail then uh-huh. you have to like First, they kick that person out, and then the two of us, two other, the two that passed, would go in, and you'd still have to pay that two hundred fifty dollars licensing fee again, I believe. So they're they're really going to be thorough with that part of it. Um, but yeah, you'll get to know her pretty well I, by the end of the year. And um, I want to say she talked. Let me look in my notes because I want to say I think forty people have applied for the license mm-hmm. this year. Um, I don't know if that's total growers or people who are wanting to sell seed or just grow fiber, but I think they had a total of 40 people apply for a license. I've
1: seen something on Facebook where Dr. Strain was presenting a certificate or a license. Have they already uh, issued any?
2: Uh I saw that too. I think that's that may have been the first one, I assume. Okay, that's
1: kinda what I was thinking. I didn't
2: I didn't read all the article very but I saw the picture and I just assumed that was the first license that they issued. So
1: and, it, and under that post that day it broke down the four different categories.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: have license. Even if you're just a trucking company and are gonna haul it, you gotta have a special license. Yeah, you gotta
2: have a special license for that.
1: So you tell me it's gonna cost me too much to grow it in my garden?
2: <laughs> yeah, you need to be aware of all the stuff and mm. like the like like um, you know, we talked about what all it was gonna take and you know, of course we haven't been able to grow hemp legally, so the Center is kinda I guess learning this with the clientele this year. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot of known fat you know, things. There's not a whole lot of chemicals you can use. Mm-hmm. um exactly.
1: Yeah. Like, this is considered an organic crop isn't
2: it Uh it can be yeah i
1: mean pretty much so We've got to treat it like an organic crop because there's really no chemicals out there the last i heard she,
2: i think she mentioned that there are 10 labeled for hemp but i okay. do not think they're approved in the state of louisiana i could be wrong um mm-hmm. if i remember right so i i'm assuming that means nothing That you know, we have, have to grow
0: it one one of the guys that I know, one of my farmers, who was talking about uh, he was gonna grow it under plastic. You know, yeah. Like tomatoes and stuff,
2: but yeah. Plastic then. Um, but you know, Dr. Uh, Raj talked about, you know, diseases and he said that they were, that was gonna be probably one of our biggest issues because I think it gets downy mildew really bad. Mm-hmm. Um so you know, there's not anything anything labeled for that year so yeah. be ready
0: all right
2: uh, no. if you want to go grow hemp you know know your risks and know that it's gonna cost a lot
1: <laughs> I think say don't look at the return figure without looking at the uh, investment cost
2: right <laughs> well, well a lot
1: of folks are just seeing that return per acre and are getting really excited yeah but they haven't looked into the cost mm-hmm. and the risk. Well, uh, I did
0: see Man over at Franklin Parish down at Wisner. They were uh, he was they were going to sign something and they were going to buy or lease his sweet potato sheds and stuff to process him. I haven't heard from him since, but I just saw him and uh, he's. I asked him about it. And he said, "Any day now. Supposed to be. I'm supposed to be getting a check any day.
1: Checks in the mail, huh? Yep, on the mail to run."
0: So in other words, Kylie, if they if anybody you're the hemp expert, so we'll just let you go with that.
2: No thanks. (laughs) We'll
0: refer all calls to you. That's right. No thanks. We'll we'll post all your contact information. I don't
2: work in the Department of Ag. Last I checked.
0: (laughs) We make a home visit.
2: Uh, Willing to help, but.
0: And I think that I think I saw something. I don't know the dates and all, but I think uh, Southern University Ag Center is going to have a a meeting too about it.
1: Yes, I've seen it, but I don't know the dates.
0: Yeah, well, we'll have to. When it gets a little closer, we'll we'll promote that too, because people need to know, they need to know all they know before they get into this. Well, I tell you what, the weather's. We've talked about sunshine, and so let's let's get into the interview with I did with uh, Dr. Wes Porter, and we'll listen to that, and then we'll come back and talk some more. How about that? Sounds great. Hi, everybody, welcome back. We've got a good interview today. We've got a special guest. We got Dr. Wesley Porter. He is precision ag and irrigation specialist from University of Georgia. He's coming to us all the way from Tifton, Georgia, over the phone here. We're kind of talking to him. I don't know if y'all, if you were able to attend the digital ag conference we had back in January. He was our keynote speaker. Uh, he's a pretty sharp guy and he's he's an ag engineer. Uh, and he's gonna to talk to us about getting your planner ready. This precision planning stuff, you know, nowadays with the cost of seed and spacing and all that stuff. It's, it's, we got to have a good planner. We got to make it work right. Um, Wes, what do you say?
3: Yeah, Dennis, I appreciate being on today. And, uh, you're exactly right today. We're going to focus on the, uh, on the planner and we start looking at our pieces of equipment across the farm. You know, we, we know they're all important, but really without that planner, we're not going to establish a crop, get a seed in the ground and get going for the year. So, you know, we can say it's probably one of the most important pieces of equipment out there. And this time of year, you know, we're sitting, we're getting up, about to start knocking on the door of corn planting and starting to think about, you know, what we're going to do. We need to make sure that thing's ready to roll. You know, it's probably been sitting up all winter or since, uh, depending on if we planted anything with it in the fall or double crop, but not. It's probably been sitting up since last, uh, last May to June and hadn't really been touched. So we need to really make sure we go through and ready, you know, get it ready to roll coming up and we get ready to plant corn so we're not having any breakdowns, any downtime, any issues, any of that moving to the season.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, um, I know people been off and on the last month, been working on them. Some of them got them ready. Some of them still working on them, you know, with the rain and the cold. Nobody gets in a real hurry, doesn't seem like.
3: That's right. That's right. So, you know, when we start looking at them and uh, we got some of these, like you mentioned, Dennis, the rain and the cold and some of these uh, bad weather days, we would call it, you know, they're perfect for pulling, uh, pulling this equipment up under the shed or in the shop if we've got it and kind of, going through it and looking at it and you know what I want to really talk about today is some of the critical components on that piece of machinery that we want to focus on and make sure they're working and ready to roll you know when we're looking at them so you can kind of know what to go through and look at.
0: Uh, What you what you got on your mind we're because because we have now let me say this just to give you a little background most everybody has some type precision planner either a red one or a green one or another one Uh, there and a lot of them have uh, added precision planning you know, the the company, the field view stuff on it. So, I mean, it's, 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 we're pretty much outfitted to to plan it correctly. Let's put it like that.
3: Right. Right. So, you know, that's the thing we mentioned some of this advanced technology and it's, you know, as good as it is, if we don't have our basic setup and ready to roll, it's not going to really be able to benefit us. So, you know, I'm going to start kind of basic and work through this, this machine. So one of the first things I want you to look at is your opening disc. And one of the easiest ways to check those guys, you know, there's some recommendations about diameters being around or above 13 and a half inches and all that. And, you know, if the openers are worn by more than a half inch down from the original diameter, you need to replace them. But the easiest thing for you to do is to go in and, um, take a business card that you've got either one of your business cards, or if you've got a card that, um, that you, that you don't want anymore, you know, or whatever, yeah. roll, roll that opening disc through the front and see if it catches that card. It should catch that card right about what we would say is the four o'clock position.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, that's
3: kind of towards the front of that opening disc. If it does not hold that card or pinch it, that means we've got a gap in there so wide that we're not creating for all we want. So that's probably the first part to look at pretty easy to get in there and do it. You know, I, I will caution safety when you're doing all this, if you've attached it to a tractor and lifted it up, you're sitting under the front of it, you know, just make sure you got the stands down or something like that. So it doesn't drop on you. But, um, you know, that's the first thing you do roll that through and see if it holds that card. If you roll the card through and it never pinches. It change those discs immediately.
0: Okay. Now let me ask this question because we've had this year in Northeast Louisiana, we've got a lot of, uh, CSP ground. We've had a lot of interest in cover crops. We've got a lot of cover crops. People have planted some, um, it, what about their disc openers and cover crops? Do they need um, row cleaners? Can they, will their disc openers work fine? I mean, we've got everything from mixed to, to simple wheat planted, you know?
3: So if we're, um, I'm going to make the statement, if, if we've done cover crop and we're not doing any type of tillage, and I'm going to throw strip tillage in there too, but even with strip tillage, when we plant, we see planting around here, even with strip tillage, we want to have some sort of row cleaners on the front, you know? And we need to make sure row cleaners are another important component that's up there on the front of that planter. And there's a bunch of different types out there, right? So what we want to do with them, however we set them, and I know on larger planters, it's hard to make sure this happens, especially if they're not uh, controlled by some sort of technology, whether that's pneumatically or hydraulically, where where they're kind of in that float position. If they're a solid set row cleaner, we want them to basically kiss the ground. We don't want to be tilling with them. We don't want to be missing the ground. And again, I know on larger planters, sometimes that's a little bit difficult. But we do need to keep that in mind now if we move to more of a no tillage or a very heavy cover crop we do some of that here in georgia too um we might need to look at some sort of additional residue management there right we might need a culture to cut some of that material then those uh row cleaners to move it out of the way but in most cases if we've developed a good thorough crop and we're not doing any tillage, we're going to make sure we need to have some sort of row cleaning system on the front of that planter to move that residue out of the way. Cause our row cleaner, I mean, our opening discs are not going to do the best job. They're not designed to move residue. They're designed to open a furrow in the soil. So we need to be able to get them to the soil.
0: Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about the next thing. All right. We've got the, we got the row opened. you know, right. we got, we ready, we got a seed tube. We're going to put it down in there. And I'm assuming you're, recommending some kind of seed farmer of some kind or
3: or you it, just depend- let them fall. it depends sometimes we let them fall a lot of, a lot in georgia you know it's kind of funny how everything's reasonable we don't use a lot of firmers in georgia but then a lot of other places we do use them when i've spent some time in oklahoma we use firmers on almost everything if we've got seed farmers there we need to check that thing because I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and tell you a problem we had with them when we back that planter up or loaded or unload it, do stuff with it. Those seed firmers are really easy to catch on the ground and break mm-hmm. off. Or if we we're doing any type of inferro work with those firmers, you know a lot of them come with your uh, lines on them for inferro. Mm-hmm. You want to check those lines, make sure there's no leaks in them, make sure your in material is going to be flowing through them and the bolt that holds that seed firmer up there, you know, go through and check them off. And if one of them's excessively loose, cracked or broken, we need to go ahead and replace it. You mm-hmm. know, we want to make sure that it's uh, ensuring that it's, we've got adequate seed to soil contact. And it's just flopping around in that uh, seed trench. It's not doing what it's supposed to do.
0: Yeah. I saw that uh, last year, year before last we are planting corn and about half is, sea farmers were just hanging down and started to fertilize spraying all over everywhere just not a not a not a very pretty picture
3: probably doing more harm than good in that case if you yeah. want to know the truth yeah. so
0: all right so uh, we got with big thing and this is this has been a big thing for us because we go from a silt loam to a heavy clay a lot of times in mm-hmm. the same field let's talk about down pressure which yeah that's know? a
3: That's a huge one. And so we got, you know, three main types of downforce systems out there. And, you know, our basic downforce system is just a spring force. And so, of course, it's not going to change or react to those different soil types, but we want to kind of have an idea going in, you know, where we think we need to have it. And we want to check this. We want to look at our depth gauge arm and wheel and some of that, make sure that when we're looking at our gauge wheel, we don't have any rubbing or anything there first, you know, against our opening disc it's all right for it to kind of touch it but if it's like locking up against it that's a problem Mm -hmm. and there's some other issues that we want to look at with those to make sure that that is moving the way it's supposed to freely up and down also on that gauge wheel you know Mm -hmm. if it's not moving up and down the way it's supposed to you're not setting an appropriate depth then we move on to a little more advanced and we start looking at um a pneumatically controlled or a hydraulically controlled downforce system, one, a big problem we've seen a lot, especially on the pneumatically controlled systems are leaks in that pneumatic system. Mm -hmm. And if you don't pay close attention to your, depending on where your compressor's at, that thing will leak down and you won't even realize it. So we've had a lot of farmers we've done on farm trials with or worked with that they'll set their pressure You know, just set the gate, you know, just set the pump back out of the way and think everything's good and it leaks down over time. And so, as as you mentioned, Dennis, we're crossing across different soil types. We're not matching what we need. And then kind of the same thing on your hydraulic system. You know, make sure that your hydraulic cylinders are moving up and down and freely. Make sure they're mounted good. There's no play or anything in those. And make sure you feel like you're comfortable with where you're setting the poundage on the downforce for those. You know, most of them have an automatic setting that keep you in a particular range. And so if you kinda of have an idea of the soil type in there, you know where you need to be.
0: Okay. Well that's that was only another question. Could you write a prescription for if you knew your soil types, could you write a prescription for a range? You know, so that so you really just kind of was automatic and it did it itself or or I think then I've seen and I'm pretty sure They have ones that sense that sense everything now and adjust automatically.
3: Yeah, so they have them that'll sense and adjust automatically now. At this time, I've asked the companies this; they don't, none of them will take a true prescription map for downforce, which is every one of them acts like that's right on the horizon. So I think Mm -hmm. we're getting really close to that. What I have a lot of the guys I've talked to, what they end up doing is they kind of know where they want to be on average across the field. And then as they start to see those drastic, we would call soil type changes, you know, you go from a really lighter, visibly lighter soil to a darker, a more red or a blacker soil, they'll increase downforce on their own with the monitor in the cab and do more of what we would call a reactive downforce change based on their perceived um, yeah. differences throughout the year.
0: Well, and, and some of it is they just know, you know, too, they've planted yeah. it over the years and they know, And mm-hmm. um, but we see that, Especially, not so much with corn, but we see it was beans and cotton later on in the year, on ground that's in stale seedbed or no-till. That, well, not no-till with a cover, just plain no-till, no cover crop. That it's the ground will get hard on that heavy land in, and you can't get. To, you're either too deep on the sand or not deep enough on the clay. And it's yeah. gotten better over the years, but it's still still an issue in sometimes. All right, let's talk a little bit about drives on each. Are you thinking like hydraulic drives drive the whole planter or a section or individuals? What's your What's your thoughts about that?
3: So on the drives, we got a couple of different options there, right? If we're looking at, a, let's just go back to a manual planter. We don't want to forget these guys. If we're looking at those, we need to go through and check all those chains, all the sprockets, your drive lines, all that. Because I'm going to tell you, chains will rust. One of our biggest problems in there when we're looking at them is, if you've got a rusty or a sticky chain, we'll call it, and you had not oiled or greased or kept up, it'll kind of get a skip to it. When it gets that skip mm-hmm. in there, we'll drop seeds out when it kind of skips through. On the other end of that, if we're looking at row clutches or we're looking at a hydraulic, we don't see as many hydraulic drives out there. But if we're looking at that drive with row clutches or something, I, I go through and check all my clutches, make sure they appear to be working, that they're engaging, disengaging, make sure my drive connections and all that stuff are there and good. And then, um, on our electric drives, you know, pull those meters apart and check all your gears and stuff. And I'm going to tell you that that might lead us into the next part. But when we start looking at drives in there, when stuff sits up, especially out under a barn or more of an open condition, one, some parts may get a little older and brittle, but more often than not, we'll kind of get critters and stuff down in there. you yeah. will find spider webs, dirt daubers, all that stuff. If any, You know, none of us do this, right? But if accidentally any seed was left in there, we'll find rats and stuff down in there sometimes. We just don't want, you know, on some of those more fine-tuned, like, electric drives, we don't want to end up finding stuff down in them and have problems with them that will short them out or cause problems in the end.
0: Should they? um, I know you're saying to check them every year, but do they have some kind of estimated life? You know, like some things, you know, you get two or three years out of it, and then, you you know, just wear and tear, you got to change it out. Do those little electric drives have something like that or are they just
3: You know, most of the companies claim they, they work, you know, longer and have a longer life than some of the other ones, but we just I think that comes up to yearly maintenance, how we keep it, how we treat it, uh, mm-hmm. on and on. So um you know, we kind of got to keep an eye on them. I think pulling them every year, kind of looking at them, making sure our electronic components look good, make sure there's, you know, no excessive water damage, no excessive, like we say, critters or any dust, dirt, buildup, anything like that that's got down in them that'll help maximize the life on them. And, you know, a lot of the nice thing is, is, Next section of that planter, we haven't really gotten down into too deep, but the seed tube, we have seed monitoring on them, and a lot of our uh, systems and those electric drives also monitor the RPM, so we'll know if there's an issue when we start planting. But what we'd really like to do is set it up and just run through a simulated plant scenario, you know, put in a simulated seed rate mm-hmm. and do a spin through, and if we get any errors through any of those row units, then we need to check that row unit.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's – and that was – I was going to mention seed tubes because I know, you know, seed tubes are cheap, you know, and – but they're to replace the sensor and all that. It's time-consuming. But oh, it's just got a little wear, and I'll just run it again. And then you tends to throw that seed to the side, you know.
3: So, yeah.
0: I mean, we're yeah. we've got a precision piece of equipment. It's like a computer or something, you know. That's it's. I mean, it's a planner but it's precise and it costs a lot of money. We need to. We got to do yearly maintenance and keep it up.
3: You know, those seed tubes are easy to pull out of those planters, right? You know, they usually just clip in. And if we look on the bottom of one of them and it looks like it's got excessive wear where it no longer has that kind of cup on the bottom or that angle down there, that's kind of hard to describe. Everybody knows what I'm talking about where it points down. If that's worn away, man, it's time to change those. It's not putting the seed down where it needs to go. And I'm going to tell you another thing I see looking down in seed tubes a lot of times that I see dirt daubers and I see uh, spider webs and stuff this time of year. And if we're running one seed tube sensors, you know, that stuff's going to block them. And two, we start dropping seeds down in that thing. We got dirt daubers or spider webs, whatever. It's going to bounce that seed around and really mess up our direct path down to the ground. So, you know, that's the easiest, easy to lift those hoppers and meters up out of the way and at least run something down through those seed tubes. But I'd, I'd encourage you to kind of pull them if you don't, you know, if you would want, yeah. want to well, pull them out and check them.
0: Well, here again, we're, and, it, and that's the thing, you know, we, this time of year, you know, it's cold, it's wet. You know, even if you're up in the shop, it's still cold and wet and nasty. And, you know, you've got to do a good job with it and check them out. Because when you get out here and start planting corn and you're, you know, for us, we're probably, it was rain this week, supposed to rain next week. You know, we're looking the first of March planting, starting to plant corn. Now, granted, we can plant a lot of corn in a hurry. But we're running, you know, time. Everybody gets nervous and they want to run. And you get shut down, you know, a day. Because that little motor goes out, you know, mm-hmm. or something simple, you know, it, it's, it gets real expensive.
3: So the problem, you know, not just that we say shut down a day, sometimes parts are hard to find, or sometimes that day we might be about to finish up and then a rain cloud moves in on us and mm-hmm. then we're shut down for a little bit longer than that. So we really want to spend that time now, you know, looking at some of these parts and you know, something we hadn't really talked about or looked at a lot is the seat meter itself, you know, make okay. sure you pull those covers, right? depending on what type of meter you're running, you know, pull it, check it. You know, I'd say some of our electric drives are um, a little more, even though they seem more complicated, they don't have quite as many parts in them. They're a little smaller and a little different in there. But we look at any of them, we've got seals, brushes, knockout wheels, all Mm -hmm. that stuff. Make sure all that stuff doesn't have excessive wear or any problems with it. You know, if we've got wear or wobble in the seed plate or, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen in that seed meter that can really hurt us in the year. And we look at singulation. And look at how we're uh, metering the seeds through there.
0: Well, I know that on like on the vacuum planters, that rubber ring that goes around, you know, goes around to seal it off can get crimped and, you know, and then it'll mess up your vacuum. You know, it won't necessarily show up until after you plant. And then all of a sudden you got one row that's either too thick or not thick enough. And and you start wondering what happened to that row. And it ends up, you open up, you open it up and there's a little crimp in there or something where, he was losing vacuum or you know something
3: that's exactly right we lose a few pounds of pressure a few uh inches of water on vacuum and then we're not going to hold the seeds up the way we're supposed to and you know another place we can lose that at and we, we usually override this a lot by just cranking a vacuum up on our planter but we have leaks in our vacuum system in general anywhere like, look that's a, that's a plastic tube and stuff can get in there it can crack and dry rot over time and we'll have a little crack or hole in it. And especially if it's closer to one row unit or not, you know, Mm -hmm. even though the overall system might be reading what we think is a happy vacuum level up there on the gauge, we may not be actually getting that every row unit. And like you just mentioned, Dennis, we're, uh, we're not able to directly monitor vacuum on every row unit. We'll, we'll just start. We don't want to see it after we plan and we got emergence. We notice one row just had a problem, Mm -hmm. right? That's, that's Mm kind of too late then.
0: Well, and, and, and I've seen an awful lot of, um, vacuum planters had a lot of duct tape on that black tube that goes across that too you know that's
3: that's exactly right I've seen that too you know you realize there's some holes there and do a quick fix on it but you know I you can take this for what it's worth what I'm about to say but you know those tubes are pretty cheap compared to the rest of the parts and compared to seed cost so if you you know I understand if you're in the field running we got to put some duct tape on it and keep it going at that time but and right now is the time if you're starting to look like it's more uh more silver duct tape than it is uh, <laughs> in this black tube, you might consider replacing that system. I've I've
0: seen some that were pretty silver, but you know, or at least parts <laughs> of them were pretty silver. But but that I mean, and one light, one thing I want to touch base to. Now we do here in the along in our area, we plant the ends. I don't know if y'all yep. do. And certain people swath, swath control for us is a no brainer. Mm-hmm. you know with the cost of seed and the, pretty much all our guys are 12 row you know the 12 row planter takes up a lot of room so
3: it does so we're a lot of 12 row some of our guys are planting the end some of them are not we got we got a mix of guys that'll back up you know and field efficiency's not as high there but they'll back up line up and go but then we got some guys that adopt adopted that swath control and that helps you know that's a that is a money-saving technology, not double planting all those areas. And it doesn't seem mm-hmm. like much to you really put the pen down the paper and start to calculate areas that you'd be double planting, or areas you are over planting, yield reduction, and you know, extra seed costs in those areas. So that's a well, really good technology to look at. Yeah, well, that's
0: and that's and that's what we're looking at is is swath control on that, on the fertilizer, on the sprayer, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the whole nine yards. Because seed's really expensive; everything's expensive. Margins right. are tight. We got to save money and to make money everywhere we can.
3: Yep. That's exactly right. That's exactly right.
0: You got any final thoughts for us? We're kind of running, we're about times about right. So you got any final thoughts for us?
3: So my big thing is, you know, we've covered a lot of information here today. I know we've covered it kind of quickly, but go, go through that system, you know, systematically sit down with that planner and start at the beginning at your toolbar, at your, vacuum system or your even your hydraulic lines we didn't talk about them much if you noticed any leaks then but start at the kind of the front and work your way back another thing we didn't touch at all that i've seen problems on and we'll bring up really quickly is our closing system uh, i've seen mm-hmm. planters on farm that have broken springs on their closing system or wheels that are missing or you know the list goes yeah. on and on you know just make sure that as we start at the beginning and work all the way back that closing system everything seems to be operating correctly Because here's the deal. I don't care what technology you put out there on that farm, what technology you put on that planter. If it's not ready to roll and all these components are not working the way it's supposed to, no amount of technology or precision ag techniques are going to help save you from that. We've got to make sure we get that seed where it needs to go at the right rate, the right spacing, and all that, and set ourselves up for a successful stand. If we've not done that from the beginning, then we've set ourselves up for failure. So let's not do that. Let's spend a little time you know, part of a day getting it all fixed. And if we need any parts, we got plenty of time now to get them ordered, replaced and fixed instead of trying to do it when we're trying to get done and rolling.
0: All right. Well, good. Well, and I had forgot about closing wheels and we see all kind everything from cast iron to spider type wheels to the regular, mm-hmm. some of them people just run the old rubber ones. Just, just kind of depends on what you got or, or you'll see a mix of them too. So, you know, that's we'll right. Everything. So
3: that's the same but here,
0: but I guess <clears throat> take home message from you is it's an ex seeds expensive you can't make a good crop unless you got a good stand you need a good planter take care of it
3: yep that's exactly right that's exactly right
0: all right well good deal well look we appreciate you coming on talking to us and we may we may talk about irrigation back if if we if it ever quits raining this summer and we have to (laughs) irrigate we may call you up and talk about irrigation some more y'all you're an irrigation engineer you know we do some and we supplemental, I think y'all a little more have to, aren't you?
3: That's right. That's right. We've been seeing the rain here too. But uh yeah, we uh, if it dries up, we're gonna be planting corn soon. But like I said I appreciate y'all having me on today. And um, uh, like I said, we got a got a lot of issues getting ready to come up, get those planters rolling, and then a lot of things to think about after that. So
0: all right. Well, good deal. Well, we appreciate it. Good talking. Yeah, thanks,
3: Dennis. Right, thanks. You too.
1: Okay, what y'all think of what y'all think of Wes? Hey, I thought it was great. Just some good, simple, down-to-earth common sense. A lot of it just things you need to take care of before you go to the field.
0: Yeah. Well, it's uh that's that's kind of the way he's real good about knowing that, you know, what how to talk to farmers and just make sense and not not be too technical, just down to earth stuff. Just pay attention yep. to what you're doing. So uh all
1: right, what uh anything else? What you got anything else, RL? Yeah, I'd like to just throw out a little congratulations to some of our local 4-H'ers here in northeast Louisiana who had a, a good year at the uh, State Livestock Show. I don't remember all the names, and so I'm not going to mention any, but we had several champions in north Louisiana this year in different categories. And just uh, congratulations to them and for all their hard work.
2: Yeah, we were well represented down there, sounded Probably like.
1: Probably my 30 years, the best I've ever known is to be represented down there. Well, that's good. That's great.
0: Uh, that's real good. Um,
1: Kylie, you got out of
0: going to the Livestock Show this year, didn't you? Yeah, this
2: year I did.
0: Uh, well, there's always hope for next year. <laughs> I know. <laughs> she said she had enough at the District Show. Yeah, well, you know, you can only get so much fun. Um. So, um, what we got of events coming up. I know we got a big field day coming next week. You know anything about it, Kylie?
2: Yeah, we got the Soil Health Workshop in St. Joe. Um, that's going to be next Thursday, the 20th – or this Thursday, the 26th. No, um,
0: Wednesday. It's on Wednesday. The oh,
2: yeah, Wednesday. Sorry. Yeah, Wednesday, the 26th. Ash Wednesday. Um Yep. But, yeah, that'll be in St. Joe. Um, well, we're going to try to live stream that. We're still working on that. Um, so, if you can't make it, maybe we're going to – I think we might try to record it. Is that right, Dennis? Yes,
0: we're going to – for sure we'll record it. We've spent – what we spend? Two hours this morning trying to
1: <laughs> the live stream and figured out that we didn't have enough bandwidth or something technical. Maybe just Internet problems in general. Yeah. yeah, but
2: we might try to record that and put that out for you all with – like to try to get into doing that, and if we can learn how, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, and then next we have the horticulture seminar on the fourth of March. That's going to be a Wednesday, starts at 9 a.m. If you're interested in that. Um, 4-H clubs are selling strawberries if you'd like a flat of strawberries uh, contact your local uh, parish club Um, as always that'll help support the 4-H'ers going to 4-H university and 4-H camp and just any other program needs that they have Um, WPS if anybody's looking to be WPS trained and has missed any of those meetings reach out to us we can get you trained or you can go to the train the trainer meeting uh, that Kim Pope is putting on in Winsboro on the 19th and I think that's the night yeah March 19th um, believe it starts at two I think she might be doing a private applicator training too that morning uh, at eight so you can see her in Winsboro and spend all day getting trained up in all kinds of ways so you'll be an expert there once you leave leave her um and that's all the meetings that i have written down
1: all right well, we got the wheat note field oh, day yeah. don't we? Dennis yeah. coming up in april oh yeah april the 23rd 23rd wheat yep oat, wheat note field day and making registration in Windsor. we'll we're going to attempt to live stream that
0: if we can get the bugs worked out yeah that's this this live streaming i mean we got it to work this morning we just kept y'all kept buffering y'all were watching it and i was trying to do it here
1: and we kept buffering you know yeah don't have enough video i don't know you oh know. well it's a it's another progress i mean another work in progress yeah but we can tape it and we've got a really good camera we can tape it and yep we can put those up on
0: you on our youtube channel where we can, you'll be able to watch them um uh, let me say something about the, the the health soil and health workshop here at the northeast station next Wednesday. It's, it's going to be a small a field tour in the morning and the afternoon we'll be, uh, we've got a bunch of speakers to talk about different things, but an interesting thing is they're going to, as part of the field, field tour, they're going to allow producers to go out in these, uh, one of James Hendrix's cover crop tests and actually cut biomass to be able to see the difference in how the different cover crops, how that much they produce. And, uh, with this year,
1: as warm as it is, some of them produced an awful lot of, they grew a lot, way more than what normal is. Yeah. Yeah. I seen a field of radishes yesterday. I wasn't sure what it was. They were already blooming. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I had to stop and think a minute. It, I've never seen that many blooms in a field before. Yeah. It's, uh, they're blooming. The ones I got in my house have
0: been blooming for two or three weeks. Mm hmm. You know, but, uh, but they look good. Every, all the cover crops are, they're probably ahead of normal, but they look good. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, all right. Uh, anything else we need to talk about? Uh, one thing, Kyle, I did get a call, uh, from your peach grower the other day. Uh, we still talking about, he's still hadn't had enough chill hours. I don't think.
2: No, it's not been a very cold winter. No, it's been cold this week. That's about all I
0: know. So, I don't know. He's he was pretty a couple weeks ago, he was pretty concerned about chill hours Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and what whether he's going to make a crop or not. So, I don't know. But anyway, well, that ought to I guess that pretty much if we don't have anything else, we'll kind of wraps us up, I think, for another week of rambling. Yeah. I mean, it's we can't do much other than I mean, it's
1: sun shining, but it's cold out there. You know, hey, you know, I'm working on my boat. Getting right. it ready. Is it gonna call it's it the raining So I can float out. Are oh, you gonna call it the ark? Yeah, <laughs>
2: I may need it at the levee bus down here. <laughs> so
1: I just want to be prepared. Well, you know, that's you
0: know, you need to be prepared. I mean, I remember in 2011 that uh, we terrible people Now I know we moved everything out of our house when the levee was river was so high on the levee. And, I had boat tied to the tree, so
2: yeah, it's scary. We moved we had a levee on the farm. we put all the equipment up there and, and you couldn't get a storage building in Natchez at the time because everybody over here took all their stuff and put it in storage buildings in Natchez. so yeah.
0: and even the cows, they took the cows off Larry moved some of them to Clinton, some of them different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I had to go out and count I counted the man's cows, his horses, and his chickens,
1: so Sewater was taking everything
2: that reminds me i gotta go figure out how many acres of crawfish are in concordia parish
1: not sure maybe they'll survive huh maybe they, they'll survive
2: they'll survive we might not we may not but they'll survive.
0: <laughs> all right well let's go and we'll uh do another podcast next week maybe we'll maybe we'll do one live from the field day who knows you never know y'all subscribe to us Subscribe to our video, send us some comments, any topics y'all want to talk about. Maybe one of these days we'll go back to the question of the week and see what we can do there. But yep. for now, see y'all next week. Next week.
2: Next week. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the lsuagcenter.com or contact your local extension office.